Welcome to the Wags of SEI podcast, where we discuss all things life, love, and caregiving after spinal cord injury, hosted by Elena Pauly and Brooke Paget. Our partner, Spinal Cord Injuries, is what brought us together, and our common bond as caregivers to quadriplegics is what helped us to create the advocacy group, WAGS of SCI, which is an acronym for Wives and Girlfriends of Spinal Cord Injury. We know firsthand the challenges that come with living this lifestyle, and our mission is to spread awareness and positivity from our unique perspectives. So join us as we tackle deeper discussions around sex, travel, mental health, self-care, and finding balance as a caregiver and a lover to someone with a spinal cord injury. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Wags of SEI podcast. Here we go. The episode you're about to enjoy is brought to you by Anchor Medical Supplies. This company is very special to us as it's owned and operated by a quadriplegic. His name is Paul and his Wag of SEI, Jessica. They have been married for 22 years and they strive to provide the best service in the industry for catheters and ostomy products. Anchor Medical Supplies is based in Georgia, but work with nationwide Medicare, Medicaid, and many private insurance companies, including Blue Cross and TRICARE. They work with your doctor's office to get prescriptions organized, and they bill insurance directly. They ship discreetly to your door without any hassles. They are passionate about advocating for those living with disabilities, and most of their staff are individuals that have been affected by paralysis themselves. Their personalized services include monthly check-ins, expert advice, and customized products. This makes them a company you can really rely on and trust. They know the SCI life, and they understand how important peer support can be. If you weren't sure you want to change providers, please subscribe to their monthly newsletter. Jessica curates the latest SCI news, new products, and advice so you can stay informed and connected. Just go to their website, anchormedsupplies.com, and fill out the easy form. So, give Jessica and Paul a call today at 1-833-667-8669. Or you can visit them at their website, anchormedsupplies.com, and tell them the Wags of SCI sent you. Welcome back, everybody, to the Wags of SCI podcast. It is Brooke and Elena. Thanks for tuning in. This episode is just going to be Elena and I, and we're going to talk about something that is pretty significant. (laughs) Pretty serious. Probably too serious for the mood that we're in right now. (laughs) So it's actually good that we're in a funny mood right now because we can... This is not a funny topic. Not really, but it also can be very positive. Mm -hmm. So the topic we're going to discuss today is... Letting go of relationships that no longer serve you. Yeah. And the reason why that's important is because when you're in a situation where your partner has a spinal cord injury... You usually have to build your life back up from the bottom, pretty much. Mm-hmm. So I know um, we. this is one of the hot topic discussions on our private Facebook group page. And uh, it's pretty significant because there are many women that are part of this group. There's about a thousand women on there now um, whose partners have sustained a spinal cord injury recently. And they're noticing that their friends and family are starting to dwindle away. And for Brooke and I, we were talking about it this morning as we're walking to get coffee. We're like, you know what? That's totally cool. That's totally fine our relationships will dwindle away. And sometimes I think that at first we take it personally because we think that it's a spinal cord injury, but it's not. 
it's also just the trajectory of your life where your relationships just kind of fade off. You know, you don't stay friends with all the same people all the time. And instead of being in that victim mode of why is everybody leaving me? I was kind of saying to Brooke, because that time maybe is up. And look at it from your own perspective. Maybe it's better for you to have certain people leave your life so you can focus on recovery and the things that you and your partner need to do to get better, both mentally, physically, emotionally, and you make room for new relationships when the old ones, you know, kind of take off. Yeah. And I think regardless of what you believe in and how you structure your life and how you structure your thoughts... I think that there's lots of phases that happen with this injury. And although Elaine and I are both at a place now where we're kind of in the acceptance phase, we both accept what has happened. We're going to make the most out of it and we're going to live our best lives. And we just, we see things as the way that they are, but to us, um, we've enforced boundaries. We've gone through all of the dwindling of relationships and new friendships and that, and, it's taken a long time for me personally to get to this place and a lot of personal work. And I know on the private group, we have a lot of people, women discussing these issues and saying, I feel like I'm being abandoned by my friends. I'm feeling like, you know, when his injury first happened, everybody was jumping to help me and jumping to send me this and asking how they can help. But then when it came down to it, there was only a select few that actually followed through with the help that I needed. And it's a huge, huge thing when you're going through trauma, you can see things differently than everybody else. And it is really true. And I don't know what you think, Mm -hmm. Elena, when they say, when you're going through a period of trauma, you can really see the people that are truly there for you. Because regardless of it's you or your partner, the people around you, their true selves will come out during this time. And you'll be able to see things that you might not have necessarily seen before with close friends and family and things Mm -hmm. will surprise you. But for me anyways, I found that the people that were the real shining stars came through and shone that much brighter. I don't know how you felt about that. Yeah. I mean, to be quite honest, this can be, this can go two ways. I mean, if we're talking about trauma and shock, being in that state of shock, you kind of get tunnel vision. And sometimes what you do actually is not even see the people who truly are there as well. Um, I know that it has taken me um, some time to see the impact that our families had had on our lives because, you know, the, the spinal cord injury, it really consumes you. It really does. And, um, you know, for a while there, I was kind of thinking, like you're, you're trying to get to a place where you feel safe and you're actually physically okay yourself and your partner, especially when you, you're dealing with things like aspiration and collapsed lungs and, and things like this, which are, you know, an AD, which are all, they can kill you. They're very severe. So you're kind of in that survival mode for a while there, that fight or flight or freeze mode for a while there that sometimes you actually don't even see the people who do put in the extra work and you know that do take the drives out from out of town to come and bring you your casserole or to come and you know clean your place for you or to come in and just sit with you and uh that has taken me a long time to actually even see that um because for a while there like you were saying like letting go of people that 
and relationships that no longer serve you um, was kind of where I was sitting at for the first few years was, okay, so people are now starting to dwindle off and they're leaving. And being in that kind of victim mentality, I was kind of, you know, it brings up a whole bunch of fear and maybe anger and maybe resentment. But only recently, like I'm talking about like within months recently, <laughs> I've, I've come to terms of what, where are these feelings coming from? We talk about this quite often that our genetic DNA, um, we're predisposed to feel certain ways if we allow that. So what does that mean? It means if your parents had issues of insecurity, fear-based, um, you know, fear-based ideas that were not dealt with, they get passed onto you and the way that you deal with things. And for myself, especially, you know, fear-based ideas came from probably my biological parents before I got adopted, like that Mm -hmm. abandonment that came in because I literally was abandoned. Mm -hmm. And then now throughout my life with, with relationships, with my partner, with family, anytime I saw it, you know, that disapproval or this, this abandonment is how I saw it. It wasn't true. Mm -hmm. It wasn't real. Um, I felt really fearful and maybe resentful. But like I said, it was very recently <laughs> within the last few months just to kind of sit with it and be like, hey, that's totally okay. And like you were saying this morning, Brooke, being an observer without judging when you're going through these situations, being being okay with these situations that are presented to you and just being like, okay, cool, that's fine. But I mean, this life, going through spinal cord injury because it's so severe really changes your perspective of the world and your frame of reference. It, it really adjusts what is important to you and what is not. Right. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think like, and I was telling you this morning, I had a discussion with my brother last night who loves talking about this kind of stuff, mindfulness and, you know, being an observer on your own emotions and figuring out where they come from. I think it's really important to know that, especially for women out there listening who are going through a relatively new spinal cord injury with their partners and their life is turned upside down, just understanding that all of that stress, there's no real way to control it. You're doing the best that you can. Your body is in shock. You're going through such a life change that people act differently when they're going through this kind of thing. And it's important to note that it may be because you're under so much stress, you're seeing things differently, or it could be that you're seeing things how you were supposed to see them all along. Mm-hmm, totally. And then right? they get kind of like hit into the background because your primary internal needs are coming up real quick for you that, that the stuff that you're dealing with or need to be paying attention to mm-hmm. kind of gets shuffled under, you know, yeah. behind the throw cushion or in the closet or whatever, you know, yeah. that's how I see it as like the stuff that you really need to be dealing with. You just, you don't have the tools to take that on right now. Yeah. And that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Don't give yourself a hard time about being kind of feeling like you're drowning almost that feeling of like panic. Your life is changing. Your partner's life is changing. You don't really know what tomorrow will bring. Yeah. I mean, it's that uncertainty too, right? Like I Mm -hmm. remember being in the ICU and, and actually in step down spine ward, I remember walking over to the nurse and, and after everything we have been through from coming home from Cuba, having our operation in Cuba and finally just wanting to talk to somebody and be like, Hey, what's actually going on here? Like I know my uncle uh, provided so, so much support for us uh, through Cuba and being in medicine himself, uh, being a doctor, he was able to explain things a lot clearly to me 
and wasn't there to Mickey Mouse and say, hey, he's going to be okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, even though I thought that he would get up and like walk out after about a month with a broken bone, just a broken bone. Mm-hmm. Um, but going to that nurse and just saying, hey, I just need somebody to be real with me and tell me what's going on. And uh, because that fear of uncertainty can really consume us. And um, it, I think it's normal. It's normal. It's normal to be fearful. It's normal to be scared. But but knowing that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, I think, is the reason why we began this group in the first place to show women that you can and you will be OK. Yeah. And like I was talking to my brother last night about this, about viewing these emotions as just an emotion. They don't have to control you for the rest of your life. If you can get to a place where you're under stress, that's just the way it is. Your body is stressed out. You're going through a lot. And in order to just like look at yourself and say, okay, I'm going to give myself a pass for this and just understand that my body is under stress. It doesn't need to be who you are forever. Mm-hmm. It's important to observe that and know, well, I'm stressed. I'm going through a time of stress. My partner's going through the time of stress. This is what it is right now. Mm-hmm. And just look forward to when your body starts to calm down, your mind starts to calm down. And that kind of mindfulness that goes along with that and just noting that it's a phase and your body needs to process this as well as your mind. I just, I just wanted to quickly talk about like when, you know, you were talking about when Dan was in ICU, I felt in general with other people when my partner was first injured that I had less tolerance in general for drama and shenanigans and people's (laughs) stuff, quote unquote stuff. Mm -hmm. And like my mom always says to me, she's always like, Brooke, your cup is full. Mm -hmm. And like what she means by that is, you know, let's just use the analogy of a cup. When you have a lot of stuff, like let's just use emotions and stress and working and trauma and all that stuff. Let's say you have a new job. Let's say you're trying to balance this lifestyle. Let's say something happening in your family and you have a cup and it's only so big. And when you have a lot of stress added to that, your cup starts to overflow and it makes it so that you're less able to tolerate things that normally you could have just had it roll off your shoulder. So for me personally, when I was going through the initial stages of this injury with my partner, I had zero tolerance for dramatic, narcissistic, selfish behavior that I knew you know, was there before that I could Mm. let roll off my shoulders. But since this injury occurred, I felt like life is too short to deal with this crap, to put it frankly. And why do you think that is? Do you think it's the actual like physical injury or, or like, why do you think that is that that shift of perspective happened? Is, Is it coming from like a place of like, I'm so fearful of death particularly, or is it you just slow down, right? I would say it comes from a place of you've almost had everything taken from you and you realize that life is so freaking short and precious. Mm-hmm. And these, you know, our partners were given a second chance at life. Yeah. And there's no more, oh, let's put this off. Let's do this later. Let's um, let's take care of our emotional needs later when we're older. Let's like, we always talk about that, Elena. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's focus on this for now. Let's ignore this. Let's let people um, cross boundaries. Let's let people treat us like shit. We'll always deal with it like right. later. Right. When this injury happens, I feel like not only does your tolerance go down, but you also prioritize what you value the most in your life and what you need in your and your partner's life and what you don't need. And you know what? I actually was just thinking about this. Um, 
I feel like, and a lot of the time when you're in it at first, you become so consumed that you feel like everything's kind of like racing around yeah. you, like between hospital to like figuring things out, doing your own research about spinal cords, about injury, about secondary conditions, about how to care for him. Um, from like a different perspective now, years later, I see that I've actually slowed down. And what I mean by that, I, don't, I mean like, yeah, physically I've slowed down a little bit too, but um, slow down in terms of your partner is now bound to a sitting position. So the things that you were once doing, you both were once doing, and with spinal cord injury, a lot of our partners and us lose our jobs, for instance. Mm-hmm. You can't do what you once did because let's say it was physically demanding. You were using different parts of your body to lift things, mm-hmm. to carry things, to run around. Um, you are now bound to your chair. And I think being a partner, and especially if you're very in tune and very empathetic with your partner when you're on the same page, you yourself will find yourself doing a lot more sitting activities uh-huh. to be on the same page as your partner. Maybe it's out of guilt. Maybe, yeah. maybe because it's out of... Um, just relating to them. Like I know with us, we bought a, for Dan to be able to fit under a chair, we bought a small Ikea table and cut the legs down a couple inches. His dad uh, sawed them down a couple inches so his wheelchair could fit under it, but it's not like your standard countertop. It was like a bar table, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Bar table. And we spent a lot of time around that table playing games. We began to bond over meal prepping, making foods that we both liked, anything that we could do in a sitting position, we did a lot more of that. And sometimes it'd be like transferring him onto the couch and watching movies and snuggling up. So we talk about this as well quite often is weight gain after spinal cord injury for the partner. And and I've been really paying attention to where does it come from? Like, is this just in my head? But I think truly it's wanting to sit and relate to what your partner is going through. And sometimes, you know, that guilt piece, I know a lot of our listeners who do not have a a partner in a wheelchair may not understand, but it's being able to relate. Mm -hmm. It's being able to kind of, you know, you feel kind of guilty that you get to go climb downstairs or upstairs or down to the beach. Like I go to, to, uh, wreck beach quite often but even when I'm climbing down the steps and I come back and I show Dan the videos of the beach I feel bad because he says I'll never be able to see that mm-hmm. you know what I mean mm-hmm. and not many people can understand that feeling except for well and that's another reason why we started the group is is wags um because that kind of guilty feeling can translate to a lot of other things and it's all about how you handle and recognize those emotions. They may be real to you, but they not may not even be real to your partner. Like I remember there's so many times that I've gone and done something that I wish my partner could do with me. Mm-hmm. And I've come home and I've been like, I feel guilty for doing that. And he'll be like, why? You mm-hmm. had fun. Like, who cares? But it's, it's, it's me trying to heal from guilt and grief. And it, it's crazy what your mind will do after a big life-changing trauma. Right. You're constantly trying to rationalize, right? Our our brains are programmed to make little categories and compartments because Mm -hmm. we want to put a meaning behind everything that we Mm -hmm. see and do and respond to because we want to make sense of it. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to do that little bit of meaning making piece comes in and and sometimes it's like our brains are overanalyzing everything that there is actually no meaning behind every single thing. It's it's being able to be present and just be without 
and just noticing those feelings. Huh, mm-hmm. where does this come from? Hmm, where yeah, does like this be- come from? <laughs> yeah, like when people say, sit with it. It's like, sit in that stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't want to sit in it. I want to. Well, because naturally as human beings, we're designed to, like you said, overanalyze things, overintellectualize things. But it's all from a frame of reference that has either been designed by us and is not is our reality only and not everybody else's reality or something society has designed for us to reflect on. So I think... Like, and this kind of goes for when you're trying to heal after such a major trauma is just sitting and noticing and letting yourself process these things and not judging yourself for feeling stressed and feeling overwhelmed because it's not, it doesn't need to be a negative thing. It can be a tool of growth. And that's what we talk about all the time on the group is, you know, society's told us that, you know, fear and desire and, um, and guilt, guilt and all those low level feelings are are bad and you shouldn't feel them. And I remember a huge part of my healing after my partner's injury was when I was around certain people, I would feel those feelings more. And I knew that, you know, I need to feel them enough in my own mind. I don't need to feel them more when I'm around friends or different family that bring out these things in me that I don't necessarily want to have to deal with anymore. Right. So... Yeah. I mean, so circling back to relationships that no longer serve us, um... I think both of us have written a, a couple articles about this and, um, uh, you know, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I can finally say it's okay. I've, I've gone through some personal family things this summer and, you know, I always thought just like in, in the kind of family I've been brought up and that there is, there is a reason for everything and we have mm-hmm. to behave a certain way and we owe people this mm-hmm. and we have to do these, these things because what will so-and-so think of me? And it's just, I'm letting go of that. And, um, I'm kind of, I, what I've been realizing is a lot more self-respect for myself, mm-hmm. putting in those boundaries for myself saying, no, actually I'm, this doesn't work for me anymore. And no, this isn't, you know, might matter to you, but mm-hmm. you really don't owe anybody anything. At the end of the day, you really don't. And you have to take care of your own mental health and physical health because you, mental health is just as important as physical health because it will show up as an ailment in your body if you're unable to treat that and work through that. Yeah. And, like, let, let's talk about, like, friends versus family. So, like, I know, like, at the beginning of the of the injury, my partner's injury, we were reevaluating everything and we were reorganizing our life and we just didn't have time to deal with drama or flakiness or, you know, people, we wanted to choose who we were going to be around by choice instead of by obligation. And I think that's also really important when it comes to family is, yes, they're your family, but you also need to have a chosen family, Mm -hmm. especially when you're at a place in your life where you don't want to be around negativity. You don't want to be around toxic personalities that literally steal the life from you. Yeah, they're called energy vampires. And I remember, you know, at the beginning of our journey with paralysis, my husband noticed, and I noticed too, my cup was full all the time, but he also had lower tolerance because of the nature of his injury. You know, if he was around people that were more negative or toxic or just weren't really aligned with how he wanted to live his life or showing their true colors, he would feel terrible at the end of the day. And he would always say to me, I feel like I'm hit harder by things because of my spinal cord injury. And I'd be like, well, no doubt your central nervous system is so impacted by this injury. You don't have the physical tolerance to deal with draining people anymore. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge thing for us as a couple is like, 
do we want to put ourselves in a situation where we feel drained or where we feel like we have to babysit other people that should be babysitting themselves? Not really. You know, life is too short for that. And us personally, we had to make some very, very big decisions Mm -hmm. in our life as to who we wanted to be around and who we wanted to be around. And to be honest, it was very, very lonely at first. But I will say from experience, you have to go through the loneliness if you're being authentic to who you want to be. So yeah. let's, do you want to, do you want to talk about like some advice you have for, for some people going through this? Cause I think my biggest piece of advice is like we always say, learn, get to know yourself. Who are you underneath mm-hmm. all those layers of trauma that has happened to you? That's not who you are. Who are you? Who is that person that you really want to be? Because, you know, you're in this position where you've realized that life is so short. It almost got taken away. You know, like what, like how do you organize who you are? Find out who you are. And then what do you want to do with that? And that's being authentic to yourself. And if you're authentic to yourself and how you want to be in your life, no one can tell you that that's wrong. And if they do tell you that's wrong and they refuse to let you be you, that person should not be in your life, especially if they're not listening and they're not respecting the boundaries that you have put on for yourself in order to heal, in order to be your best self, in order to live your life how you want to. So I think that's like really important, like setting those boundaries, making sure that people understand that, you know, it's not up to you to please other people. I remember having a lot of backlash when we made some decisions in our life to, you know, rid ourselves of toxic personalities that just could not, we could not handle. Um, There was a lot of backlash. There was a lot of guilt. There was a lot of shame from these people that were not comfortable with us making those decisions for our own mental and physical health. And you know what? It was tough. But as soon as I started to realize, and as soon as my husband started to realize that, yeah, it's tough. But once you start understanding that it's not you, it's them, and you're doing you and you're being authentic to you, people are unhappy with that because they're not happy with themselves. With their change. I think change makes people feel uneasy. I mean, there, I have two things to say about that. First, I think it's our age as well. I think that it's our age that yeah. we're starting to kind of... Uh, separate the importance of and energy like who has enough energy to entertain too many social situations and scenarios and relationships I know for myself like when the lights start to dim outside I I get kind of tired Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna lie I'm kind of like I want to be at home I want to have dinner and I want to know where my person is and I want to start getting ready because the things that we do in our lives after spinal cord injury take a lot more time than they do for anybody else. You are now responsible for your partner who can't just jump out of bed and dress themselves and have a shower. And then you guys both just carry on with your lives. Um, you are, everything takes a lot more time and energy. So I think that in itself, <laughs> right. Uh, we just don't have time. We don't have time. We don't have energy for this and it's not a negative thing. It's no. a reality. Yeah. The it's sooner, not a bad thing. No, the sooner you realize that, that is being true to yourself. And the second thing I'll say is you're right. You do need to get to know yourself. And that actually means separating yourself from your partner's identity as well. So it's, it's being able to have your own life and then coming together to have a life together. And I think that's a very important for able-bodied or, or people in chairs. It doesn't matter. It's, it's very important for everybody. So taking that time for yourself, figuring out what it is that you want to do, what you like to do. Maybe it's a yoga class. Maybe it's uh, going for a walk. 
Maybe it's going away for a night with your girlfriends. Maybe, you know, whatever that looks like for you. And I'm saying this now because um, my partner is going away for the weekend to spend at his family, his family's place um, without me this weekend for the first time. And I'm already recognizing the feelings that I have around being alone. You know, I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, you know, he's going to be gone and he's wanting to take the dogs and, oh my God, I'm going to be alone. Maybe I'll just drive out there on Saturday night. And then I'm like, no, like you've made this call. Like you need to have this time by yourself. You also need to be comfortable with being, just because you're not with your partner doesn't mean like it's okay to be alone. It doesn't mean you're lonely. That is a very different thing. You don't, you can entertain yourself because, I mean, at one point in my life, I did live by myself. I wasn't living with Dan and I was fine, right? But again, those emotions of like that, those uncertainties and what if, what if is really hard. And I know that this is really hard for people to do who have been in relationships for a long time is spending time by yourselves. And I think there's a lot of pieces that go into that from codependency to all sorts of things. So I'm taking this challenge. I'm ready. I'm not going to be driving out. I will be spending the whole weekend alone and it's going to be great. And I know I'm going to feel very uneasy tomorrow morning when he takes off, but that's okay. I'm willing to feel uneasy. Yeah. Because what do we always talk about? We always talk about usually when you're going through the lonely stuff where you aren't really sure where to turn or what you're going to do or what you're going to think in from one minute to another, usually that's the space that you need in order to create and find yourself and do things and, and listen to your spirit, listen to your, who you are inside. And if, if you're devoting a lot of your time to friends and family or, or people in your life that don't necessarily value your time, or that are taking from you or, or, you know, that are just not healthy relationships just to fill your time. So you won't be lonely. Right. That's another thing that it's after this injury, I've noticed that you have to go through that stage of, you know, I'm not going to go hang out with this person because it's too draining, or I'm not going to do this because I don't want to, but that's okay. Because mm-hmm. being by yourself, it's not a bad thing. Your body is just used to it. It's a habit almost that you have to be busy doing something. And in order to decrease your stress in general, after a trauma happens in your life or when you're trying to reevaluate everything in your life from the ground up, mm-hmm. you have to have that space or else the good things will not come into your life. And I, I think one thing, though, to keep in mind here is when you're when you're speaking from a place of getting to know your spirit, there will be people that are listening right now that are like, what the hell is she even talking about? Like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. How do I follow my in, intentions to, to be true to myself? And that comes from being alone. It comes from figuring out, trying different things and figuring out what you like. It comes from getting to know yourself again. So maybe... You know, you're like, well, maybe I'll go for a walk in nature. And then you you kind of analyze your feelings and how you're feeling in that moment. Yeah. And if it's a positive, positive, rewarding feeling, then that's probably something that you, <laughs> who you are. It's well, something it's that you need. Self. Yeah. You know, and then if you, you think, oh, maybe I'm going to go read a book and maybe you're not feeling that great while you're reading books. Maybe that's not something that you need to do for yourself. So at the very core, you need to know what you yourself enjoys and likes and being comfortable with being 
by yourself. Yeah. So, and that's what we mean when we say you need to get to know yourself is you need to get to know what makes you happy. What makes you tick? Like if you're, it's as so simple as like what Elena said, going for a walk or doing something that makes you feel good inside that is not destructive to you. Mm-hmm. Um, something that can be super simple, something that's unique to you. That's how you learn what you should feel like and what feels good is, you know, when you're doing something that you absolutely love for no reason other than it's something you absolutely love and you don't have to apologize for that. Even if it's just sitting on your bed and looking at the ceiling and listening to a song that you like, if it makes you feel good inside, that is something that you need to be doing in order to figure out what your next step may be emotionally in order to be your best self and heal and connect to who you were meant to be. Because everyone has a higher self that they want to connect to. Isn't that kind of the goal of life? Yeah. I mean, we're unique. We're all different. Um, That's what we should be celebrating. It's not being the same as what you see on Instagram. It's not being jealous of, you know, seeing things on Instagram. I don't know what people are doing or, or their likes or dislikes because it's your brain is actually your personality. Mm -hmm. You think that your body is your personality? I mean... Dr. Shelley will definitely argue this one with me. She's like, your body is your personality. Everything that you have gone through shapes your body. But I'm like such a firm believer that, yes, that makes sense. But your brain, your thoughts, it starts somewhere with thoughts. It starts with your thoughts becoming your patterns and your and words and whatever you say out loud. You, you know, it's kind of like a tool. It's a weapon you manifest that into reality. Yeah, it's so true. So why don't we quickly go back to like, let's say there's someone listening that they feel uneasy around certain people and they don't really know how to disconnect and they don't really know what they should say. Um, what, what kind of like advice would we give to those people? <laughs> don't say anything. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, it, it, I really don't know. I mean, for myself, I don't, typically like to entertain drama or disconnecting from people. Sometimes it's a simple act of literally just filling your time with other things and just letting go, literally letting go. Um, if something needs to be said, you know, that I think different people deal with uh, disconnecting different ways. If something needs to be said, you don't have to be rude. Yeah. You can just be really polite and just, you know, I'm busy. I don't have time. Um, which is actually very true. It's not like you're lying. You really don't have time. You have very limited time. And that time that you don't have for other people should be on bettering yourself and, and getting to know yourself. I think that, you know, it's, it can go very simply for me. Like every time I want to deal with something, I just think, okay, is this authentic to who I am? And is, does this feel good to me? And is this authentic to me? And I went through a phase where I felt like I needed to protect other people's emotions. And when I when I didn't make sure that they were okay, I would feel uneasy. And I think it's a huge thing in our community, especially as women. You know, we like to keep our little girl gang together mm-hmm. no matter what, even if we're so far apart from those people that it's just not serving us at all anymore and it's a bad situation. Um, like, I mean, this, this happens all the time in our communities, especially, you know, we're trained in, in high school to maintain your clique and make sure that everyone's content and we all pick up on each other's energy, no matter what. That's why they always say, you know, you sync up with your, your hormone cycles and your, and your, and your womenly cycles every month Mm -hmm. when you're around your friends is because it's true. You, you, you are very connected as women. That being said, 
it can get the best of you and it can be very toxic um, if it's not something you want to be around anymore and you don't need to apologize for that. And that's something I worked on. I've been working on the past couple of years is I would feel so guilty for listening to my gut and my intuition and just being unapologetically not sorry for canceling or saying, you know, mm-hmm. I can't, I'm not going to hang out with you tonight. I have other plans or just not responding at all. You don't owe anyone anything. That and that goes, can be really hard for a lot of people yeah. to take. Yeah. And it goes both ways, right? I mean, also don't be so upset when somebody else cancels on you right. or says, exactly. Hey, I just can't. Um, I recently had a situation where I showed up at somebody's home that I had made plans with and, um, you know, Dan, it took Dan and I some effort to get there through the snow and the rain and whatnot. And so by the time we got there, I was kind of already like, ah, and then as I walked in the door, uh, this individual said, you know, I'm really not feeling good. And I said, yeah, no problem. Um, when we left and, it, and as I left and I sat like on the whole bus track over, I kind of, I was more sad because taking your partner through these things can be a little bit draining. But at the same time, I was like, no, like, it's totally fine. Like, don't apologize. It's totally okay to cancel last minute if you're not feeling well. And um, of course, this individual has, you know, they're a sweet person. They're somebody very dear to me. So they had felt really bad and asked to take us out for dinner on a separate occasion. And I, I even still, I was like, please no, like, it's totally cool. Like, I'm not upset that you were honoring what you needed to do because there's nothing worse than feeling really crappy and then continuing on with an obligation and still sitting there and feeling really crappy. Uh-huh. I always say that it, it drains you even more. It's I so think. true. And then that ties back into protecting your own self-care and protecting uh-huh. your own self. Because at the end of the day, you are only responsible for you. You're not responsible for your partner's emotions. You're no. not responsible for your friend's emotions. But what about your dogs? No, you're not responsible. Well, I feel responsible for my dog's emotions. (laughs) Even that, you can't control much except for your own thoughts and what you do and what you say and how you act and being mindful of what you think. That's really all you can do in life. So if you think of it that way, you also understand that other people's reactions are their own reactions. And those reactions are based on how they were raised, what their perspective of life is, what they've mm-hmm. had to eat that day, how much sleep they've had. You can't control other people's reactions. All you can do is stay authentic to who you are and what you want out of your minute, second, day, year, and remain true to that. Mm-hmm. It goes by quick. Yeah. We were just saying how quickly <laughs> it goes by every day. You wake up, you do this, 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 and then the sun goes, especially this time of year, I yeah. think. You know, the sun goes down. And the older you get, you're like, oh my gosh, did six months just pass? We're talking like we're 80-year-old women right now. (laughs) I think at heart we are, (laughs) our old souls. (laughs) But yeah, anyways, so to wrap it up, guys, thanks for listening to Alina Pauly. And Brooke Paget. And thank you for, yeah, thank you for tuning in. And, you know, we want to do these podcasts more often where we just discuss our feelings because like we've said before this has a lot to do with what we're going through at the moment and this has Mm -hmm. a lot to do with our personal experiences and we feel impassioned to talk about that kind of stuff so thank you so much for tuning in thanks so much guys as always you can visit us wagsofsci.com or email us anytime have a beautiful week bye